Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. We're so blessed that you've joined us. Of course, after the worship, we'll flip over to our main venues of teaching, uh, Highway 33 in Rutland. And of course, if you're logging on from the south, uh, then you can go and see Pastor Glenn in the mission. Really excited about that. Please stay in contact with us. Please connect with us. Fill in the connect card. And I know that God is going to bless you. We're going to have communion. We're talking about generosity. Talking about sowing and reaping. It's going to be good. So thank you for joining us. And we bless you in the name of the Lord. And now let's worship together and celebrate. Good morning, church family. I'm Chris and this is Jesse. And we're super excited to lead worship for you this morning. Um, would you just join me as I open up in prayer? And as we just invite the Holy Spirit into our homes, into the place that we're all listening to this. Um, and I just bless you in your, the place that you are, that, that the Holy Spirit would um, speak to you and, and speak revelation upon your life. So, yeah, God, we, we love you. Thank you for worship, God, the gift of worship, the gift of music and song that we get to um, be creative and we get to... Um, sing out loud to you, the King of Kings. Would you just anoint this time of worship, Holy Spirit? Would you use us um, and go before us this morning, this week, and this year? We love you so much. Pray this in your name. Amen. Clouds, kings, and 
Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Who can stop the Lord Jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful. You are, and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. Yeah, he loves us. portion 
Here's our prize Drawn to redemption By the grace in his eyes His grace is an ocean We're all sinking So heaven meets earth Like a sloppy wet kiss in my Every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you And 
Jesus, a name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. We live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are in. Heart in lead me in your love to those around me. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you, Jesus Jesus, a name above every other name Jesus, the only one you could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up my eyes in wonder And show me who you are And fill me 
God, that's our prayer. God, that we would build our lives upon your word, God, upon your truth of who you are. And God, we just thank you for this time together to worship as one body, as your church. We thank you for this time just to, just to reflect, to sing songs of praise and adoration to sing songs that are the cries of our hearts, that are prayers from our soul. Yeah, God, we just love you so much and we thank you for this time together. Amen. Oh, worship has been so precious. And, you know, many of you know that in our church, in-person church, we're at... uh, Highway uh, 33, we've got our new worship uh, pastor, Zach Pearson. He's lovely. And boy, um, what a blessing he's been. And to see our team. People have said, well, what's happened to Curtis? And let me remind you, Curtis is our seniors pastor. He's continuing to minister and also continues to be involved in the active life of our worship department as well. But let me just uh, pause for a moment. And hopefully you've got your bread. And let me remind you that we are a generous people because God was first so generous to us. It's called grace. We are bankrupt. We are broken. We are sinful. We have lived in darkness. And yet we've seen a great light. And Jesus Christ came into the world to lead us on that rescue mission back to God. To pay the price and the penalty for our sins and to give us life. I've received that life and it transformed me, continues to transform me and will keep transforming me until that day, hallelujah, when I am, I'm seeing him face to day, face after death, can barely wait to see him. But that's all because of his death. And Lord, I thank you that I am full of joy and smile because I have been given the gift of eternity. But at the same time, I acknowledge the profound price the triune God paid. That you came to become sacrificed for our sins. Your body was broken and you were given for us. And I bless this bread and the bread that is out there in the name of Jesus. And pray, Lord, thank you that Jesus, you are the bread of life. Eat it in remembrance of him.
In the same way, he took the cup, poured it out, saying this is the blood of the new covenant that takes away the sins of the world. Drink it, remembrance of him. I thank you, Lord, that I have been cleansed by the power of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your love that fills me and has transformed my life. I am a new creation, a brand new man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed me. Amen. Well, before we go over to the message, let's, um, let's hear what's all taking place on news around Willow Park Church and find out all that is happening. Hi, church family. My name is Curtis, and I am the pastor for seniors here at Willow Park Church. Here is your family news for this week. Willow One Worship and Prayer, our monthly all-church prayer gathering, is happening tonight at 5.30 p.m. at our Rutland location. This will be a time of extended worship and prayer, and there will also be a kids' worship and praise party happening, so bring the whole family. Prayer is our number one priority here at Willow Park Church, and so we hope that you will be able to join us tonight to seek the Lord for what He would have for us as a church. Next week is our One Big Sunday event. It's happening at 10.30 a.m. here at our mission location. One Big Sunday will also be a celebration for our whole church, and we will have a barbecue lunch and activities for the kids after the service. If you have friends who are curious about church or the Christian faith, this will be a great Sunday to invite to them to come with you. I'm very happy to let you know that we are now having an in-person hymn sing every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., starting this week at our Rutland location. I'm looking forward to seeing your friendly faces and singing with you all again. Willow Park Clubs is for kids in kindergarten to grade 5, and this program we will be starting next week on Wednesday, October 6th at the South. At Kids Club, we explore the Bible through games, crafts, and more. Kids have the opportunity to make new friends and have a lot of fun learning about Jesus. Registration is now open on our website at willowparkchurch.com. Small groups are starting up again in October and we would love to connect with anyone who is currently leading a small group or is interested in leading one this year. If that's you, then please take a moment to chat with Pastor Nick this week. Of course, there's so much more happening here at Willow Park Church throughout the week. Be sure to subscribe to our email updates on our website at willowparkchurch.com backslash email as we will be sending all the details to your inbox every Sunday after the service. That's all for our family news. Have a wonderful week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you, Jenny. Praise the Lord. Please take your seats. Every now and again, I, uh, I share something that uh, is very much like a, bit of, uh, like a journal entry. You know, um, I, think, uh, I think there are times in all our Christian lives where 
we, uh, we sense that the Lord is speaking very clearly to us, and, uh, and oftentimes that leads us to a point of confession and conviction, and, and that, is, that is where I am sharing from this morning. And I do have an, an outline and a sermon and a teaching that I want to go through. But know that I teach this from the point of view that it is above me. It's something that I try and attain to, something that I'm striving for. And, um, and it's something I believe that the Lord is calling to us to a ch- as a church to as well. Um, and it starts with, in, in a scripture I want to share with you just briefly in Matthew chapter 4. And then we'll, um, then we'll walk through a few points that I want to share that, uh, that I think are pertinent to where we're at right now as a church. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Jesus called them and immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. And then there's a second scripture. These things, this is from John, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for these holy scriptures. And that, Lord, that we just uh, humble ourselves before them. Lord, I pray that we would not walk away from anything that we hear, anything that we read this morning, Lord, without feeling a sense of urgency, without a sense of needing to seek you out more. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for those who are present, those who are listening online. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing, what you have done in this church. But Lord, we pray for more. We pray, Lord, that we would get a a deeper sense uh, of following you. That, Lord, that we would truly be apprentices and disciples. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, I remember when I was about 14 years old, um, I I hated and, and to a certain extent still do hate running any length of distance. Um, this was something as a 14-year-old, as a I was very much into rugby and, uh, and, and soccer and everything else, and it was short distance. I mean, I could, I could do it for a, full, uh, for a full match, but they were always short distances, and long-distance running was not something that I found any joy in at all. Thankfully, at the school I was in, they really didn't do a great job of supervising what we would call cross-country running. And so in Britain, it generally meant that the PE teacher, and in my case, I went to a Catholic school. This was in this particular time. It was a guy called Father McCarthy. Father McCarthy, I know, uh, would just sit and eat sandwiches and drink out of a flask a cup of tea uh, while everyone else was doing cross-country running. The reason we knew that is because that's what he was doing when we got back. He was sat by the gates of the school with a cup of tea and a flask 
and some sandwiches yelling at us as we came to run faster. Um, and so what we decided was, this particular time, is that instead of doing the whole cross-country run, we were very fortunate that where the school was, it was right next to the sea. And so we could run along the, uh, the side seawall. Please don't think uh, Vancouver or anything picturesque. Don't think of the Bahamas and running along the sea. I could go into great detail as to the reasons why that is just so not the case in North Wales. But we would run along the seawall and then back in and do a loop. And so being smart 14-year-olds, we decided that we were going to cheat. Because uh, why would we go for this run? Nobody was watching us. So what we did is we decided, well, we know roughly that the cross-country run takes 40 minutes. And so we'll go and mess around on the beachfront for 40 minutes, then make our way back to the school, pretending to be out of breath. It was a brilliant plan, as all 14-year-old boys' plans are. It was foolproof. So we went onto the beach, we started messing around, we were throwing rocks in the ocean. Again, I shouldn't really call it ocean because that gives the wrong idyllic sense. Into the body of water that is called Liverpool Bay, need I say more? Um, So we were throwing rocks in and true boys being boys, this was about a group of three or four of us. We progressed from rocks to try and throw one another into the sea and sure enough the smallest and least able to fight got thrown in completely submerged into the water and so then we were said well we better make back what time how long have we been out and about running and none of us had a watch with us none of us had any clue we thought well it feels around about 40 minutes And so we started running. We came close to the school. We rounded the corner. It was at that point the signal was that we needed to look like we have just done a cross-country run. The fact that one of us was completely soaked from head to foot, hopefully they were just Father McCarthy and his sandwiches and tea. God bless him. We just think that he'd been a really vigorous runner and was sweating a lot. Uh, The smell and the stench of Liverpool Bay, uh, you know, put on the side. But we, we ran and sure enough we started like, oh gosh, this is so hard. Oh, I'm so out of breath, Father McCarthy. What a run. Woo-hoo. And he wrote down our names on the clipboard with our times. What we didn't notice at that point is that we were first back. We had no idea that we'd actually shaved off like 10 or 15 minutes off the school record, all three of us. We know now, looking back, Father McCarthy knew exactly what had happened and put our names up for the team that was then going to be running against St. David's College, another school in the town right there on the sports notice board was our names. What on earth had happened? We arrived at St. David's, can't believe that we'd done this a week or so later, knowing that we had zero chance of making it around this cross-country course. And St. David's was the really posh private school in the area, and everything they did, they did so well, and sure enough, they beat us in the cross-country run as well. Because halfway round, I seriously started running out of gas, like... On a level that I try so hard, but the run turns into a trot that turns into a walk that turns into a crawl that turns into one of these full-on knee grabs. What on earth was going on? Thank you, Father McCarthy. You see, no matter what I looked like and no matter what I said, I was not a cross-country runner. 
you know, I might have looked like one, I might have had the number, I might have had the place, I might have been going to the right place at the right time, but I was not a cross-country runner. I, was, I wasn't really even kind of a cross-country runner, not even a cross-country walker apart, you know, in, in going around that particular course. I just completely run out of gas. I had no life left in me. And I feel like if I look back over the last 18 months, it feels a little bit like we've been on a cross-country run that we're not qualified to run. I feel like I've run out of gas. I feel like it's kind of gone from a run to, and sometimes we were running hard as a staff. Our staff have fluctuated. We've gone through some really difficult moments as a staff, and we are now starting to build the staff back up. And, and it's a joy to be working with this new, and in many cases, new staff, Nick and Jenny being two of them. Um, it's, it's really exciting. But I wonder whether there's been times of life where you just feel like you just run out of gas. Remember about maybe six or seven years ago, completely running out of gas. And many of you who've been around a while will, will remember the time where I had to take almost a year off work because I burnt out. And up until then, you know, the thought of taking a year off work or having anxiety or depression or, or anything that connected to that, I was one of those classic, what on earth are you talking about? Suck it up, princess, you know, get on with life. And then life actually does hit you. You run out of gas. You realize you're not qualified to do this, this cross-country run called life. And, and you just think, man, I can barely crawl through. I might dress like a cross-country runner, but there's no joy. I might dress like a Christian, if that's a thing anymore. I don't know. I might go to all the right cross-country courses, the right churches, the right places. I might look and sound like I've got everything together, but the reality is, is inside I'm running out of gas. This scripture is really one of those scriptures in my life that I've constantly referred to and preached on many, many times. And every time I go back to it, I see something new. And what we do is as we read it, it says, These things are written, this is the John's Gospel, the stories of Jesus Christ, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So my question, I think, this morning, and the one that I have for myself, is Christian friend, Glenn, have I stopped at the believe part? I wonder how many Christians stop at believe, but the life in his name is not there. And I, and I wonder whether life or Christianity has become just like everybody else's life in our community, but with an extra thing to do and at best and at worst feel guilty about, which is go to church on a regular basis. You know, we're trying to bring our kids up in a Christian way. We ought to do these activities a little bit like running this cross-country race while actually feeling like I have no life to give to it. We're just believing, we're just turning up that that extra thing to do is just, a cre- uh, is just an activity. Have we made it possible to be called a Christian because we said the sinner's prayer at some point in our history and that we believe some facts to be true about Christianity, i.e. you don't go and watch R-rated movies, you don't kick your dog, you don't stop this, you you stop that, put that down, don't listen to this and, and try not to cuss too much. And as long as that is all together and as long as we try to go to church on a Sunday or at least make good reason why we can't because there are other things in our life that are really important, that that somehow has become what Christianity is. I was reading this week 
that, uh, that something very remarkable has been invented. Those of you who know me, that I have a, a pretty old uh, Jeep, and uh, my wife is continually reminding me that it's filthy, and it's always filthy. And you know what? She's not wrong, because my retort is this. It's not dirty. It's experienced. Jeeps are meant to be dirty because that's the that's what especially when it's 21 years old and it's it's not meant to be clean because if you clean it you can see the rust so let's just keep it dirty it's experienced and so I keep telling her this and so I probably wash it once a year maybe um, and so the fun part is Sarah tells me with some vehemence and not much understanding is that when you get into my Jeep the Jeep somehow stays on you. Because it's quite high to get into, you end up with filth on your pants, and, and so Sarah decides that she doesn't want to drive it very much, which is fine, because it's my Jeep. It's experienced. But did you know, friends, and this is where it gets pretty exciting for you, is that there is now a product called Spray-On Mud. For that, quote, off-road adventure look. Let me read to you what, the, uh, what this article said. It could be the ultimate accessory for the 4x4 driving city dweller, spray on mud. A few squirts and neighbors will think you spent the weekend hurtling along muddy lanes looking for a country retreat rather than sitting in traffic on the way to drop the kids off before you go to your yoga class. Just think about this every time you pass a jeep. Like many of the best ideas, spray-on mud was dreamed up over a couple of drinks down at the local pub. We were in a pub talking about how people drive these things, uh, a couple of, well, drive these huge, pristine vehicles around cities and never having any intention of going near the countryside, said Colin Dowes, a business consultant in Shropshire in the UK. Had to be British, right? Who markets the product. This is what he said, with spray on mud, they can make it look like they've been off-road instead of just driving to the shops and back. Have we made Christianity driving to the shops and back? Is what I wrote in my journal. Should it not be that we're off-road? Should it not be that Christianity is meant to be that adventure that Jesus promised that it would be? Have we made Christianity something that we communicate to our kids as a safe and comfortable option while going to the shops, literally, while at the same time Jesus has called us to be something so much more, is what I journal. See, with spray on mud, they can make it look like they've been off-road instead of just driving to the shops and back. Have we made Christianity just going to the shops and back? Because Christian, the word Christian, actually is a word that is rarely used in the Scriptures. And have we made Christianity something that it was never designed to be? That we've stopped at believing and not followed through with life in His name? See, Bible doesn't refer to becoming a Christian apart from in one or two areas, especially in the New Testament. This is one of them. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians by people who weren't Christians, but who didn't follow Jesus. And the reason was, is the people who weren't following Jesus needed to categorize this new group of people who seemed to be acting like Jesus. They weren't Jewish, they weren't Gentile, but they had something in common. And so we'll call them Christians. It's a, it's a bit of a derogatory term, if I'm honest. Another term you won't find in the Bible is even evangelical. 
So these titles that we place upon Christianity actually give a false sense of comfort that we're part of something, then really what we're doing is just going to the shops. We're getting on with our lives, we're getting on with our activities, we're bringing our kids up as safe as we possibly can, and there's nothing wrong with that. Whereas we realize, Christian brothers who, and, and sisters who are parents, the thing that is most attractive to Christianity is the adventure and the life that Jesus promised. It is not attractive to a young person telling them, well, hey, good news, you get to sing worship songs forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in heaven. That is not attractive to the average teenager or young adult. They want to give their lives to something, which is the very thing that Jesus said that we ought to. But friends, we make Christianity something safe and protected and going to the shops instead of off-road. But we'll spray on the mud just to make it look like we're doing what we've been called to do, is what I journaled. See, Jesus never called Christians. He called disciples. You won't find any definition of Christian in the Bible. You won't find a sinner's prayer in the Bible. You won't find any mention of, giving your, of Jesus coming into your heart or you giving your heart to Jesus. It's not in the Bible. And yet I wonder whether Christianity has become something where we say the sinner's prayer and therefore now we're, we believe that Jesus died on the cross and boom, now you're a Christian. See, Jesus didn't call Christians, he called disciples. Discipleship was integral to Jesus' culture, and it's integral to our culture right now. It's just that we don't call it discipleship. In Jesus' time, philosophers had disciples. Rabbis had disciples. In our time, Instagram influencers have disciples. Business leaders have disciples. Athletes have disciples. All discipleship means is, I'm following somebody which is where in the first scripture I read to you in Matthew chapter 4, it's saying to Jesus, to these fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He was saying, come, be a disciple. It doesn't say, hey, follow me and you will become a Christian and life is going to be really comfortable and safe right now. But if you could manage to get to church once or twice a month, that would be awesome. It's not in the Greek. Trust me, I've looked, I've checked for sure. You see, this idea of following somebody is discipleship, and we do it today just as much as it was an integral part of the culture then. But the way Jesus called them was unique. Because notice he says, he personalizes it. He says, follow me. At that time, if you wanted, to, if you were a, a well-educated young man, especially, and, and other philosophers, they did it differently, but in the rabbi culture, it was young men. If you were an educated or smart or bright young man, you would prove yourself and it would be, you would choose a rabbi that you wanted to follow because that rabbi had an interpretation on the Torah or on life in such a way that it appealed to you and you wanted to follow that interpretation, that teaching. But you see, Jesus does something really different. He says, follow me. Follow me. He doesn't say, come and take on my truth, although that is implied in the scriptures, of course. He says, come and be in relationship with me. See, this is unique even with the influences that we have today. Because the influences we have today on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or on any other piece of social media, they look at them and say, hey, look, you want to be like me, then do what I do and follow the teaching that I have. 
And you'll be transformed just like I'm transformed. Whereas what Jesus, they do not say, come and be in relationship with me. They might say that you're in relationship, but it's not actually true relationship. See, Jesus says, come and be in relationship with me and you will be my disciple. Come follow me. In Mark 3, verse 14, it says this, And he appointed twelve, whom he also called apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Come follow me. Do what I do. Be who I am. Have relationship with me. And there you will find life. John 10, 10, and life to the full. See, don't just believe in me, but that actually life should reflect me. That the relationship that you and I can have, Jesus says, will actually transform you and change you. Because ultimately, that's everything that everybody wants. We know we have a picture of something that we want to be different in our life. Come follow me, Jesus says. And in the first scripture I read, he's actually telling them what I will make you. In this context, he's saying, I will make you fishers of men. See, these men were, were, they were fishers. They were fishermen. They went out and caught fish. And Jesus uses a a, a clever uh, illustration to say, hey, look, forget about the fish. I'm actually going to go and send you. I will make you fishers of men. In other words, I will make you something you are not currently. What is it that we want to become? What do we want to be different? What would we like to change about ourselves? The amazing lie that our culture has developed, certainly in the last 50 years, but accelerated since 2007, the amazing fundamental lie, and you can root it right back to the Enlightenment, as I mentioned a couple of sermons ago, is that the language of our culture and the belief of our culture is that if you want to transform, if you want to change, sure, find yourself a rabbi, find yourself an influencer, but ultimately, the change is going to start with you. It's going to start within. See, the language of our culture is the language of self. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about how there was a study showing the different words that were used in the books over the last 50 years, and the language of self emerged, and the language of community diminished, and this hyper-individualization increases more and more, and it's rooted with the belief of self-help, self-love, self-esteem, all these sound familiar, self-actualization, self-love, you do you, you are center, you follow you, you be you, it's your truth, you follow your truth, These are all the mantras of our culture. And underlying it all is this lie that somehow the problem, which is you and me, is also going to be your solution. See, placing myself as center is not the solution. So let's go right back to the beginning of my sermon. I talked about how we run this cross-country race called life that we believe in Jesus, we add on activities, and somehow we believe that we are going to get changed through this. My worry, my fear, I'm not meant to worry because I'm a Christian, my concern is that we as a church, not just Willow Park, but globally, are producing Christians that say they're Christians, they've got the spray on mud, but still resort to self for transformation. 
still resort to their business, still resort to their bank accounts, still resort to their own health, their own ingenuity, their, their own entrepreneurship, their, all their own education. That You can't rely on this, on Christianity and life in his name. You have to have a really significant plan B. But let's be honest, this actually isn't plan B. This is plan A. And this, called Christianity, is, you know, plan you choose. And this sounds really harsh. But the reality is, unless we actually point out and see in ourselves our proclivity towards self, we're never actually going to get to the place where true transformation happens. Because it doesn't happen with me. It doesn't happen with you It happens in something outside of that, something more beautiful, something more ultimate, something more design, someone called Jesus. So making ourselves the center is the problem. It's certainly not the solution, but discipleship is placing Jesus at the center and we stay on the periphery. So we don't become the focus. He becomes the focus. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. Discipleship as a word is, is something we wouldn't ordinarily use in our culture, is it? And if you actually look at the, the root meaning of what disciple means, it can be student, a really good word that I've seen being used more often. It's certainly something that uh, is very much part of the culture and language in the UK, is apprentice, apprenticeship. So Luke, as you know, my son Luke, is now the apprentice pastor at Willow Park Church. That's a really good term because what he's doing is he's aligning himself with people who have done it longer than him, have something to be able to show him, and they're saying, look, come follow me as I follow Jesus, and and I will show you what pastoring looks like to the best of our ability. Apprenticeship is really learning in proximity to a master craftsman, to someone who is really good at their craft. So Dallas Willard has a good definition, I believe. A good working definition of disciple or apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. So when I was 18, 19, I felt a strong sense of of calling on my life. I became a Christian. I said the sinner's prayer, if you like, uh, when I was about 12 or 13. But it was later on in my teens where, where really I realized that I was on a cross-country race and just running out of breath, that I needed something far more. And I came to the end of myself, turned to Jesus and asked him for forgiveness and confessed. And, and it's almost like, and I know this is not part of our theological language, but it's like I became a Christian again. This time, though, I was so dedicated to following after him, life to the full. I wanted to do everything I possibly could in order to know him and be like him and sound like him and preach like him. And, and so I went to see my pastor, and many of you heard this story before, but I went to see my pastor at the time who was uh, Warwick Shenton, and, and we had a long conversation. I was desperate to go to Bible college, and, and he said no. Um, for various reasons I won't go into now, and he was right, but I ended up going to university to train as a teacher. And all that time, though, Warwick promised, he says, Glenn, you dedicate yourself the next seven years to apprentice, his words. 
He said, go where I go, just follow, just, just watch, we'll chat and we'll meet together on a regular basis. And, and it was an amazing period of time. Actually, in his seventh year of that, he passed away. I guess he was maybe in his early 50s, mum, dad, something like that, which was devastating. And Luke, our son, is named after Luke Warwick because Warwick passed away in the same year that Luke was born. That relationship to have somebody who you could actually go, and, and he used to tape my sermons, and he used to just scribble all over them. He'd listen to my cassettes, and then we'd talk, and he was very straight. He was an amazing preacher. I listened to one of his sermons not so long ago on cassette, because I thought, maybe I've got this romantic view of, of his preaching. that I was actually quite afraid of listening to his message, because I was like, oh, I hope it's good. Unbelievable. Absolutely amazing message with no notes. And he could hold a congregation for an hour plus, and it was just unbelievable. So grateful for that opportunity to come alongside a master craftsman, an apprentice. You see, what we do in our world is if I said to you, who is it you would want to be with so that you could become really good at? What would, you, what would you fill that in with? Well, I'd really love to spend a year with Warren Buffett so I could become really good at making money. Because that answer is actually reflective of, of our image of what a good life is. Because it's very difficult for us to understand what an apprentice does. An apprentice comes alongside and literally goes everywhere, lives with, spends time with, watches, talks, discusses, and becomes like this person. So what is it that you want to become good at? I want to be with who? It's a really great statement to journal around because it's very revealing of your deepest longings. So if we put Jesus in this context, what would we say Jesus was really good at? What was he expert at? What would he be in something like you go, wow, if you could spend time with Jesus, this is what you're going to become like. And I really thought about this. And yes, Jesus is really good at forgiving and getting people to heaven and all the other sides of the Christian life that are very important. But ultimately, and forgive me for putting these in these terms, this might be a little clunky. I don't think it's irreverent, a little clunky for you, I don't know, is that Jesus is an expert in living life to the full now on earth as it is in heaven. That's his expertise Come follow me, and actually you will learn to live life in such a way where the kingdom of God is present now in your everyday. That's what he was an expert at. Now, conversion and, and, and the forgiveness and that initial coming to Jesus is the gateway into this. That's the believing in Jesus, but this is life in his name. That's what he's an expert at. He says, come follow me, be my apprentices, do what I do, be who I am, come live alongside me, have your commitment, your lifestyle, your focus, your identity rooted in me, Jesus says. Make me center, you periphery, and you will be able to live out the kingdom of God in your life today, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's happening around you, pandemic or no, health or no, family or no, circumstances, money or no, it doesn't matter because if you make Jesus the center, your identity, your lifestyle, your focus, your commitment, 
then he promises you will still have the kingdom of heaven on your life right now. And, and parents and grandparents, trust me, this is worth a young person giving their life to. Because this is actually what will bring real life change to people around you. He's uniquely qualified and uniquely committed. He knows our struggles. He knows our temptations. He suffered the same things as we do, but ultimately cosmically as well. He was rejected. He was lonely. He despaired. He felt the pain and ultimately faced the death, the death that you and I truly deserve because of our sins. He faced that. They died with him and belief in him opens up the gateway to actually have life like him. That's the promise. I know this might surprise some of you because I have been known once or twice to uh, make fun of skiing and snowboarding. Take a breath. It's all going to be fine. Please, nobody leave. Okay, I've never made fun of hockey. I'm not that brave. (laughs) But I have made fun of snowboarding and skiing somewhat and over the years. And I feel like I'm a bit qualified to do it because it might surprise you to know I can actually snowboard. I used to do a lot of snowboarding. I just haven't bothered over the last 10 years, if I'm honest. Um, And I learned to snowboard on Mount Seymour, which those of you who have ever skied or snowboarded on Mount Seymour, it's awful. Because it's like snowboarding on wet, slippy concrete. There's nothing fun about falling down when you're on the Seymour slope because it literally, I couldn't feel my rear end for months. It was just brutal. This learning curve is as steep as the slope itself. And I used to go with a friend of mine who was a good instructor. His name's actually preached here, Phil Can, who was pretty merciless in some ways. His philosophy of learning to snowboard was just go for it. You know, just, uh, and I remember one particular time trying to, the worst part for me was getting off the ski lift. Because he's like, well, you just put your foot on the, on the pad and you just glide off and just glide off. It's, it'll be fine. And I was dreading the top of the hill every time because one particular time I managed to put my foot where I needed to go. I glided off right into a group of international students from Asia, just like I sent them flying. It was a nightmare. But I do remember one thing Phil said. I remember a few things. He used to come behind me while I was just learning to carve and he used to yell this statement at me. And the, and the statement was, and it's hard to do this when there's little guys flying past you doing flips and jumps and you're just learning. It's embarrassing. It's awful. But he used to yell this. He says, Glenn, commit to the hill. Commit. What he meant was, you've got to lean in. You've got to go for it. You've got to just lean into the hill. Commit to the hill. And I feel like that's resonates exactly with what Jesus' call on our life is. To commit to the hill, the hill where he died. He committed to it. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. We need to commit to the hill. That is Christianity. We need to commit to everything that the hill and the cross on it represents. And my concern, my burden is... That Christianity has become just a sinner's prayer and believing a few facts. Rather than something we give our life to and in by doing so we actually find life itself in all its fullness. Commit to the hill. As apprentices to the rabbi, commit to his routines, commit to his practices, commit to his habits. And you're like, well how do you know all these practices and habits and routines? You can actually read them right there in the four Gospels. You can see the things that Jesus did. 
Matthew 5, 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, there's something powerful about teaching something you've learned. I don't know if you've ever done that. You learn something and it gets really cemented into your thinking and into your life when you have the opportunity to communicate and teach that to somebody else. These practices, you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Meditation, reading the Bible, rest, generosity. You'll see all this in Jesus' life. These are the things that his disciples at that time would have witnessed and seen and followed. A sense of community, silence and solitude, withdrawing, spending time with God the Father, fasting and prayer. These are all marks of Jesus' life that you would have witnessed if you'd followed him in that moment. And you can still witness today as you read his scriptures that he's calling us to hospitality, simplicity, rejecting materialism, rejecting those things in life that ultimately draw you away. All these things are practiced in the quietness of your home and in your life. You don't need the church to do them, but the church is there for them to be celebrated, to be taught about, to actually be guided into. See, this practice in the quiet of your life and home, we often say, well, the church is not very good at discipleship. That's actually incorrect because it's not the church's responsibility for you to be discipled. It's the church's opportunity to teach you and guide you and show you and point and give opportunity towards discipleship. But ultimately, in the quietness of your own home, in the quietness of your own life, there needs to be things prioritized. That your mind gets anchored into God throughout the day. You experience Him and experience life in His name. And then this amazing thing starts to emerge, that you start becoming like him and learning how to live like heaven is already in session. That's our call, to live like heaven is already in session, because it is. We've been called to live out the kingdom of God today. And then this is the amazing thing, and I say this as I come to a close, is then... Jesus did something remarkable. He said he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. There's the, the apprenticeship, the following, the discipleship. And he might send them out to preach. The call upon our life is exactly the same as the call upon the disciples' life. It might look different. Not all of you have been called to preach. Not all of you have been called to do specific ministries that we would historically place under the banner of church. But every one of us has been called to be ministers. Every one of us has been called to the life of an evangelist. Every one of us has been called to be like Jesus in our community. And he sends them out to preach. That your life becomes a sermon. The way you make decisions becomes preaching. The way that you live, the way you think, the way you parent, your daily routines and responses, your weekly priorities, how we parent, how we do business, how we study, how we're in relationship, how we sit in a lecture theater and listen to a lecturer. All of this speaks towards the kingdom of God, how we spend our money, how we're generous, how we're not generous. All of it should be affected by us following Jesus. And it all starts in the quietness of those moments that you put aside to be with him. What a call that these businessmen 
We know they were successful at fishing, by the way, because you don't get a boat at that time until you were a successful fisherman. And he called those who had boats, and he called those who were fishing from the shore. So those who'd been in business a long time, those who were just starting out, that he did not have a high bar like the other rabbis. The bar that he had is that I call you and believe in you so much so that I will ultimately go to the hill for you. Friends, he's called us. So I guess my question is, has Christianity become like spray on mud for you? Has Christianity become an activity, a group of people that you align yourself with, a backdrop in your life, a plan B, or worse? Because it's okay being called out on that. Because I can say it, but it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that convicts it. And it's only that place where we actually see whether we place self or business or family or fill in the blank at the center, believing that in that there is hope. When we start seeing that and actually confess it and bring it to him, there is life found. See, Christianity is not about one-time confession It's ongoing confession. It's ongoing repentance. It's ongoing walking out and following. I am so grateful that Jesus was patient and merciful enough to call a really rubbish cross-country runner then and a really equally awful cross-country runner now. If you just feel like you're out of breath, you're like, where is this going? I just feel angry all the time. That's not God's way for you. It's not his will for you. You feel lonely. You feel, uh, you feel oppressed. You feel all these other feelings you might be feeling. Like you just feel like, I'm halfway through this cross-country run, and honestly, I don't know whether I'm going to make it. You see, Jesus is inviting us into a deeper discipleship following after him. So, what do we do about all this? As you know, I've been saying for the last few weeks that we're going to be starting a new series next week on One Big Sunday. One Big Sunday, by the way, is something for you to come, bring your kids, invite other people to. Uh, We're going to have some really nice activities. We've got some food and all that kind of fun thing that the team are brilliant at pulling together. And I've been saying that we're actually going to be doing a series in uh, looking at questions and, and everything else. But something remarkable happened this week. Pastor Phil... Um, texted me and he said, here's what I'm thinking. And to cut a long story short, we had a chat, we met, and we both decided together that actually, let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus for a few weeks. We're not a church that we plan, we actually plan out well, so much so that people are actually quite surprised. Um, We do plan and those of you who know me well, I am, I'm a kind of strength finder, futuristic, that's how I think. And so I like a good plan. I'd be happy to plan out my sermons between now and 2025, and that, that'd, be, that'd be lovely. That'd be great. But then at the same time, we want to be a church that also is flexible to the Word of the Lord. And we feel like we've heard from the Word of the Lord. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some weeks studying the book of Colossians. And Colossians is an amazing book because the the banner over Colossians is Jesus above all. Jesus above all. And I want to encourage you to read. It will take you maybe 10 minutes every day. 
I want you to read Colossians every day all the way through October. I could go into great detail about the amount of hours that some of you spend on social media. Not that I actually know factually. It's not like I'm that clever. um, But just knowing what our society is like. 10 minutes, 15 minutes reading Colossians every day. I want you to read it every day. I want it to get saturated into your bones every day. And we're going to study it together. And what you're going to see emerging out of Colossians is this amazing person called Jesus. And how he actually guides us as we follow him through Colossians. We're actually going to follow him and apprentice and look at different ways in which he's called us to live life and life to the full. It's exciting. I'm actually really looking forward to it now, even though I've only thought about it for the last three or four days. So I want to invite you on that journey through Colossians with us. And uh, Pastor Nick is going to be chatting as well, um, going to be sharing a couple of times in the next few weeks about it too. So please pray for us. But let's focus our mind on Jesus. But let's also be prepared to follow him. And by following him, you will enjoy life and life to the full. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. I'm going to hand over to the worship team. And, uh, and then we'll jump into Colossians chapter 1 next week. One big Sunday. Why don't we stand together just um, as we come to the end here. Thank you, Lord. Just close our eyes. Again, I do not confess to know everything that's going on in your world. But I know someone who does. I don't confess to know whether or not you have placed yourself as center or something else. But I know Jesus knows. Not in some condemnatory way does he know, but in a way that says, follow me, make me center. experience heaven in session now so Lord our prayer this morning as we just stand now at the end of our time together in the world that just seems crazy at best but Lord we submit to your lordship that Lord you are still sat on the throne and still in control and we are grateful for the call to follow you Lord, I pray this week that we would all find increased time to gaze upon you, to fix our attention upon you, just like your word says, the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. Lord, I pray you would speak to us through Colossians. That, Lord, that our lives would bend into your will. And that, Lord, we would be freed from seeking ways to bend you into ours. That, Lord, you are Lord. Father, I pray that today, that, God, as we place you in the center of our lives, on the throne of our lives, that you would be Lord.